Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. In this episode, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, is leading us back into our marriage series with a message on passion. You can find additional resources and our message archives on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood Church app. Do y'all know that? Your sins have been forgiven. You've washed by the blood. Well, let me hear a response on that. You know what? Tell yourself what you've been given. It'll help our outlook. It It might even change your mood. How about that? All our hope is in Jesus. We continue our series, Marriage Made in Heaven but Lived Out on Earth. And today's focus is on passion in marriage. Put explicitly, it's about sex. Hebrews 13.4 on top of your outline, honor marriage and safeguard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. Now, as I told you, our focus is on sexual expression, but... You know, you rest assured, I'm, I won't deal with this subject in an explicit manner. But even so, if you have children here and you would rather them not be here, I, I would invite you to take them to their classes, which is really a, probably a better place for them, um, you know, typically. So you feel free to do that right now. Although I will say this, the church needs to rescue sex back from Hollywood. You know, God invented sex, not Hollywood. Hollywood only exploited it and distorted it. So we're not afraid of it. We're not ashamed of it. But we need to recapture it and take it back. Sacred sex is what God has given us. First, we'd see that sacred sex was conceived by God. God's not ashamed of it, as I said. He's not embarrassed by it. He he conceived of it. And you can see the creative wisdom of God in designing our bodies and in causing us to desire the shape and the form of our mates. I mean, it's surprising sort of, isn't it? But nudity is spellbinding, and that's maybe even more true for visually oriented males, which God also created that in males. Look at Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 10. And because God is the creator, the fashioner of sex, he's the determiner of its purpose and its proper use. Reproduction in humans, and especially in believers and Christians, is distinct from procreation in animals, which occurs only during breeding season for reproduction. Even the the posture is different. God's intent for marriage is that it's lifelong, whereas few animals mate for life. You said, well, but I've, I've heard that some do. But some researchers challenge the idea that any do, actually. God designed marital sex 
to be a supernatural encounter. A sacred experience, a holy expression of love. Not merely physical pleasure and certainly not superficial recreation. But sex as devised by God is dependent on relational, emotional, and spiritual dimensions for the physical aspect to have any enduring and certainly any supernatural significance. Promiscuous sex lacks all but the physical dimension, causing it to be actually dehumanizing and exploitive. We're going to look at a treatment of sex from the Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You can turn there if you have your Bibles or if you have your phone. And I begin at chapter 6, verse 13. In this Bible that we sell, we're on page 920. You say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. That is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. Now, in the setting, the background, is that some Corinthians were engaging in sexual immorality. Attending church and engaging in sexual immorality. And they were justifying it as insignificant because according to Greek thought, it was just a biological function. Like eating. But Paul pointed out that it had a distinct spiritual nature, that a Christian's body has a distinct spiritual nature. At 13. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And is further evidence, and God will raise up from the dead by his power. Raise us up from the dead. Just as he raised our Lord from the dead. So our bodies, yes, when we're raised from the dead, will be changed, will be glorified. But they will still be our bodies. We will still be recognizable. And so Paul is saying, just like Jesus was raised bodily from the dead, so will you be. So the body stays with you. And then he declared at verse 15, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? If you are a believer in Jesus today, the Holy Spirit resides within you permanently. Always. And this is, this is not a spiritualizing statement. This is an actual statement. The Spirit is within you in a very real way. So because of that, Christ is always part of you. And you are always part of Him, including during intercourse. This means that as a Christian, Jesus is present even in the midst of immoral sexual acts. You say, well, that's a horrifying thought. Well, that's Paul's point here as he continues. 
Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. For the Scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Do we understand the significance of this? Do you know that God's spirit is always with you? Can you sense his presence? And so the misuse of our sexual natures not only offends God, but it damages us. So we must, in verse 18, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. What does that mean? Well, it means at least this. God has given us a pure body, and with, with this sexual immorality, we introduce guilt and shame and regret into our minds and into our bodies. And our bodies were designed to be holy. Our, design, our bodies were designed to be pure. Our bodies were designed to be set apart for God's use. We use our, our lives for God's glory. And immorality diminishes our sensitivity to God's presence. And His holiness and His leading. Because, see, tolerating sin in our lives, introducing sin, grieves the Spirit, Ephesians 4.30. It quenches the Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. It actually insults the Spirit, Hebrews 10.29. And so you may say, and people may say, it's my life and my body. I'll use it however I want. But that isn't true. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you belong to God. Every part of you belongs to God. Don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? And was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Do we understand this truth? That we've been bought with a price that we belong to God. Can we appreciate how our misuse pains God? Because the relationship's personal. 
Sometimes I think we think God is like an upright blur, unfeeling. Mm -mm. God has emotion. His emotions are just always exactly correct. Let me give you an example. If you brought a child into the world, there's a sense in which that child belongs to you, right? And if you have suffered the pain of your child turning his back or her back on you, you feel a little bit of what God feels like when we do this to God. None of us have died for our children. And God sent his son to die for us. So how can we be so disrespectful? You know, we're, we're, we, we're aghast when teenagers or young adults turn on their parents, aren't we? Isn't that the same thing? So here's the question. Do you honor God with your body in every way, sexually, but also by worship. You know, I want to encourage y'all. Today, you know, I think we gave you a great opportunity to worship today. But let me urge you, please, and this is a request, use your bodies in worship on Sunday morning. I mean, we're trying to give you some gospel music to give you a little motivation to express praise to God. And I intend for us to keep going in this direction, but I'm, I need some response. Okay, is that fair? Let's move together. Because we use our bodies to worship, to glorify God. Yes, in this area of sexuality, but also sexuality is even another expression of worship when we're in fellowship with God. You see what I'm saying? So you've got to strip all this nastiness that Hollywood gives us away. Not easy to do, but it's right and it's truthful. Sacred sex is confined to marriage. Hebrews 13.4, which is the same verses on top of your outline. Honor marriage. And guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. That's the message translation. God designed it. He intends for it to be limited exclusively to male and female spouses. Many people, including some professing Christians, have convinced themselves, or at least they say they have, that, that God doesn't mind premarital sex. And they put it this way, as long as there's love. But to believe that, you must ignore the Scriptures that are not only listed in this point of your outline, but there's numerous additional verses. Either God's word is true or we have no faith to rely on. 
Folks, we just can't have it both ways. And as our culture turns against us more and more, we're going to have to stand. So you have to decide, is God's truth going to be the guide for my life? You just can't have it both ways. Our culture treats sex like the Corinthians did. It's just a natural drive, and it can be used however, whenever the person wants. I mean, today they would add, as long as there's consent. And, you know, the other statement that as long as there's love. But, but you know, without the lifelong commitment, lo- that's not love because love is an action of commitment. People participate in sex in our culture not only early in their relationships, but it's almost like sex has become what the, the first kiss used to be. Is that, is that fair? They sort of like each other, so they sleep together. Christians, we don't have to live that way. I mean, today, sex is practiced with no intent to form any relationship. I mean, what they call it, hooking up, I think. And, and there's, I mean, there's social media sites today that are just explicitly to find someone you don't know that'll have sex with you. I guess everybody knows that. Maybe I'll come to these things later. But I want you to feel the shock of that. God has given you something precious that you're willing to trash and dishonor not only yourself but Him. Many use sex as entertainment or recreation to escape the ordinariness of life, to And sex does seem to offer distraction, but the, but the experience of casual sex is shallow. And the level of excitement diminishes with repetition. And so you see it, you see this now. Our culture seeks to enhance uh, sexual pleasure with different techniques or, or, or with a variety of sexual partners. And what are those, what was it, those Fifty Shades movies? I mean, for goodness sakes, they had two or three of them, didn't they? So let me brutalize someone so it'll make sex more satisfying. Don't miss this seduction, please. Let me mistreat somebody or, or beat them or, to make this more exhilarating. The reason they need that is because they've never experienced God's spirit or intimacy. Lasting satisfaction and security and acceptance is not experienced in that casual expression of sex. When the focus is on the physical act instead of God's spiritual intent, the experience will be disappointing. It'll be unfulfilling. It won't develop intimacy. It will diminish dignity. And it'll leave you with a feeling of regret. Now, some would say, I have no regret. unless your conscience has been seared. 
see, if we engage in sin over and over, what happens is our conscience gets seared where we don't feel it anymore. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Leanne and I were watching this um, Viking movie. She closes her eyes, but what one of these warriors got his hand cut off. And you know what they did to, to fix it? His brother stuck it in the fire. But when we invite sin into our lives, we're putting our mind into the fire. We're putting our consciences into the fire over and over and over. So if you feel no guilt, that's not surprising. It just means you have slid into a far worse place. Conscience, Romans 2, 14 and 15, this searing of the conscience, 1 Timothy 4, 2. And let me say this for you. I know, I know this, is, this is uncomfortable material. It's uncomfortable for me. You know what? You won't believe this, but I would really much rather y'all like me than walk out of here mad with me, you know. But I can't do that. And if you're dating someone today, or even if you're engaged and they're pressuring you for sex before marriage, it's time to rethink that relationship. Because that person isn't concerned about helping you live according to God's guidelines for you. Did you hear me about that? If that person is not interested in helping you pursue Christ... You have the wrong person. Now, once you're married, you got to work at it in a different way. But before you're married, it may be time to bolt. In humans, again, especially Christians, our drive for sex is really for emotional connection and spiritual intimacy. That's really what it is. Homosexual practice is driven by a thirst for emotional intimacy that was lacking in this person's upbringing. Understand this. It's all understandable. Our lives as believers must be led by spiritual commitments, not driven by physical appetites. Did everybody get that? Up there in the cheap seats, y'all got this? On the wall, I got two guys against the back wall. Y'all hearing this? Our lives as believers must always be led by spiritual commitments not driven by physical appetites. Sex is a natural expression of a marital commitment to lifelong love, which creates an environment where spouses can be vulnerable without fear or insecurity. So oneness occurs. But see, if you don't have the oneness, then you've got to be all, you know, all 
self-conscious about, oh, I put on a pound or two, or, you know, stuff's shifting around a bit, and, you know, I don't quite look as good as I used to. And you're going to be just really mortified with self-consciousness. You see what I'm saying here? Whereas when there's a oneness, there's a level of security, there's a level of acceptance. And the realm's completely different. First Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor. Are you living a life of holiness and honor? Controlling your body, avoiding sexual sin. Sacred sex also contributes to oneness. In marriage, a man and wife are united into one. Genesis 2.24, which uh, is what, where God spoke. Matthew 19.5 is where Jesus spoke. Reaffirming sex between a man and a woman. Marital sex is set apart by God to increase intimacy within a marriage, which is experienced physically, but more significantly spiritually and emotionally. You see what I'm saying? If all you have is physical, you're going to meet a dead end, and that's why you've got to find somebody different. But the ability to grow emotionally and spiritually is limitless. So therefore, sexual expression can change and deepen in a limitless way as well. You see what I'm saying? You isolate sex, you got a dead end coming, and it's coming soon. Genesis 4. Now, Adam had sexual relations with his wife. You know what it is in Hebrew? Anybody know? The Hebrew word is yada. You don't have to know yada. But literally what it means is to know. So this idea of you use some of this, these websites and find somebody you don't even know and do something and you don't even know their name, you don't know their life, you don't know their pain, you don't know their motivations, you don't know their ambitions, you don't know their love for God, you don't know their love for the family. You don't know that person. You just exploited that person. Adam knew Eve and she bore a child. Boy, that's a richer word, isn't it? Because knowing is so much more than physical interaction. Physical interaction can occur without knowing anything personal. God's goal for sex is not merely pleasurable physical interaction, but he built it that way. Don't, you know, we're not embarrassed by that. God's not embarrassed by that. He, he, his creative wisdom is seen there. Or even reproduction. But relational oneness is created through the caring, committed, accepting, sacrificial love shared by spouses. 
And oneness is the bond that occurs when a, a couple strives to know each other deeply and honestly, accepting each other fully, forgiving mistakes and offenses, and encouraging each other's growth as they pursue God. Spouses are enabled to reveal their true selves, becoming vulnerable because they're convinced that they are put together permanently and with a divine purpose. Why would you substitute mere sex with a stranger for that? It doesn't even make any sense. Accepting our spouses fully, completely, cherishing, valuing, respecting, caring. I know I'm giving you a lot of, a, a lot of adverbs. Because I want us to, to, to understand this issue of oneness. Because it's where the sweet spot is in marriage. And if you're living in separate corners under the same roof, that's your fault. God's invited you into this experience, but it takes some effort, doesn't it? Well, I, mean, I might be asking the wrong one. It, might take some, it, it takes some effort. It, it takes some effort. But for you young folks to get the right perspective, is, today is the right time. You're caring for the one God has given you. You know what I'm talking about? Chris, you know something about this, don't you? You know what? Let me, let me apply it this way. You know what? I've been given a grand boy. And you know what? I wish I, it wasn't like this, but no, none of you, all of y'all have grandchildren, but none of them are as pretty as mine and, and probably not as smart as mine. I'm not trading mine with you for any, for any of them. But you know what? You feel the same way because you know what? There's something happens when God gives you someone. And it happens even more so when he gives you a spouse. As your, as your complementary part to spend your whole life together. That feels good, doesn't it? And that's what gives spiritual meaning to this physical expression of love that is both sacred and also secret. Why would you carry this out to the street? Why would you let anyone break into that circle of you, your spouse, and God? Why would you let anybody break into that? This oneness is expressed as a willingness to serve each other sexually in the only relationship where it's appropriate. According to God, 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. The wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Wait a minute, I don't think I like that. But understand what leads up to this. The oneness, the trust, the love, the caring, you see. And this, this sexual expression enhances oneness. You know why? Because it brings spouses together. 
sometimes you're irritated with each other, you're aggravated with each other, and it may be only this, this physical drive that brings you back into proximity. But, it, but, but don't you see it forces you to resolve conflicts? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Let's be a little practical here. I got to fix this or I know, what's gonna, I know where I'm going to be sleeping tonight. There's nothing wrong with a little practical wisdom, you see, because it's not exploitive when it's based on oneness. You see what I'm saying? So you resolve conflicts, you achieve unity, because otherwise, if you try to, you know, have sex, you're going to be rejected, one, or it's going to be very uncomfortable. So you're saying I'm responsible for satisfying my spouse's sexual needs? Yes, that's what I said. Well, that's what God said. It doesn't matter what Perry said. That's what God said. Well, does this mean I have to do whatever my spouse wants me to do whenever he wants me to do or she wants me to do? No, that's not what it says. Because Hebrews 13 did say the marriage bed is honorable, pure, sacred, undefiled in different translations. So there is great freedom within marriage, within oneness, for sexual expression. I told you all this story. Some friends of ours gave us this, this scented massage oil. I got myself all. I came running in the room. I dove on the bed, slid right across it, and hit the wall. I don't care, and I don't think God cares if you want to buy a trapeze. But you better have a good chiropractor first. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with some levity and some fun. You see what I'm saying? And some laughter. Laughter may be the best attitude. In oneness. You see how laughter occurs naturally with that when there's oneness? You see what I'm saying? Oh, don't confess too much right now. I'm I'm seeing some smiles that are too big. But. <laughs> However, we cannot justify selfish demands that force somebody against their will and dis into discomfort, into any form of mistreatment or manipulation or control. It, it's foreign to a practice that's spiritual in its origin and its essence. Sacred sex is about loving, not using spouses. It expresses and develops intimacy, unity, trust, optimism, hope, even faith. As spouses serve each other's needs and desires. Now let me say this. I know some of you are listening to this and, go, and just sinking. And you say, I've made many mistakes in this area. Some of you are making some today. I've made many mistakes. Some of you have been subjected to some of this really through, against your will. Can I be restored? Can I be forgiven? That's what the gospel is all about. And in the same book, this is what Paul wrote. 
Those who indulge in sexual sin, and you can read the whole passage. I cut some other references out. Or commit adultery. Some of you were once like that. Some of us were once like that. Some of us might be like that today. But look at this. But you were cleansed in Jesus Christ. You were made holy in Him. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I'm preaching redemption, but you know what? I'm also preaching restoration. And those mistakes can be gone. And God can fully restore you today. Counselors will be here at the front. Counselors, you come on up. And let me tell you this. Anything you ever say to a counselor is confidential. They may act on it if you tell us something that needs some intervention. But they will never spread anything you tell them as gossip. Counselors come to the front. There's also always a, counselor, a couple of counselors in the care connection room if you want a private place to talk about these very sensitive issues. But see, this is about restoration because God restores all of us. And if your life has been just weighted down with, with guilt, with regret, with shame in this area, come speak to the Savior. They can counsel you with it. You can speak to the Savior where you are. We're still selling books about marriage and a very fine book about forgiveness. It can be very difficult, it seems, to forgive. There's a, a good book out there on the, in the concourse, also at the bookstores. Next Sunday, I've told you all this, I've given you advance notice. We're going to recommit to our marriages next Sunday at the conclusion of the service. And I'm really going to use a lot of the things we've been taught in this series. So I urge you to be here next week. Also, you know, if, you're, if you've just been hovering around the outskirts of our church, but you think, you know, this really is where God wants me, membership class, Wednesday night at 6. We want to see you there. Father, we thank you that you created us, you fashioned us. But Lord, let us be submissive to you and how to use these bodies you've given us. How to express love and commitment, how to be formed into oneness according to your truth, not our own ideas. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways you can connect with other Christians here, or if you just have any questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.